0: Welcome, you are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. There are new words that are added to our uh, vocabulary Uh, Added to the dictionary. Sometimes before they show up in Webster's or other dictionaries, there's a a dictionary online called the Urban Dictionary. And that's kind of where some phrases and words start popping up to begin with that people are using. So I want to start out because we're going to talk about a very familiar word today and in this series. But I want to start out introducing you to three new words. Uh, You may or may not be familiar with them. One is phonasia. And phonasia is the act of calling somebody on the phone and just as they answer, you forget who it is that you called. And the issue is really comes to the foreground when, when it's a, uh, a, a girl calling her boyfriend and she forgets which boyfriend she called when he answered. Or if there's a guy calling his girlfriend and forgets which, which girlfriend it was that he called about the time they answered, they don't remember who they're supposed to be talking to. Another new word in that uh, Urban Dictionary is disconfect, and that's the sterilization of a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it, (laughs) assuming somehow that will remove all the germs by your breath blowing upon the candy. It's kind of like the five-second rule, but it only applies to candy uh, in in this new word. And, And then kind of a more serious word, I guess, when it comes to the way people act a lot of times And that's this phrase or this word called blamestorming. And that describes sitting in a group discussing why a deadline was missed or a project failed in some way. And you're trying to figure out who's going to be the scapegoat. You know, who can we plan for the, who can can we blame for the failure taking place? So more or less, it's a a bunch of people sitting around and and, and they're trying to have a brainstorm about who they can blame. You ever done that in your life? You know, we were... Guilty of that in church sometimes, probably, you know, blamestorming other people. Well, the reason I started out with those words, because they're probably not that familiar to you, is that we're going to talk about grace in this series that right now schedule scheduled to be kind of a mini-series for about three weeks. It may get expanded, kind of depending on what the, the Holy Spirit uh, leads in. But we're going to be talking about a really familiar word, at least for Christians, uh, and for churches, although I'm afraid sometimes we don't fully understand it, uh, and that is the word grace. And I think the danger of our familiarity with the word grace, where we've heard about it so much, we've read about it so much uh, in, in church and in Christian writings over the years, the word grace becomes so common to us, it maybe doesn't feel very amazing, even though we call it amazing grace. We, we grow so accustomed to just throwing the word grace out, or singing about grace, or talking about grace, that it fails really to have the the impact that it ought to have upon our lives. It loses the significance a little bit that it should have because we've allowed it to become a little bit commonplace. In Hebrews, I want to read to you a couple of things in Hebrews. These are kind of send-off verses. Uh, We'll read another one in a moment. But in Hebrews 12, verse 15... The Bible says, see to it that no one fails. Some translations say, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. In other words, the grace of God. And I had someone even ask about the grace of God the other night. They say, can you define for me the grace of God? And I think sometimes... Uh, Grace might be hard for us to explain, but once you experience it, you really know what grace is. But one simple way maybe to think about grace is just to consider grace to be the unmerited favor of God. It's something you can't earn. It's something you can't deserve. It's something you can't work for. God, by his unmerited favor, offers grace. He offers grace to us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God was so gracious that he sent his son to, to pay the full penalty for our sins. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. That through faith in him, he forgives us out of his grace and offers us eternal life because of his His grace. So we miss that a lot of times, but God's grace is so important. The writer of Hebrews is inspired by God to say, See to it that no one fails to obtain The grace of God. So up front this morning, just maybe you need to ask yourself, have you experienced the grace of God? Do you know the grace of God? If not, God says you don't need to miss that. That, That's something very important. You need to experience my my grace. Not only do we need to experience it, we need to offer the grace of God to others. And this is something I'm afraid of. We're guilty a lot of times as Christians, we experience God's grace. We're saved by grace, but we want to hold everybody else to a different standard. And the Bible goes on and and says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. If we fail to practice grace toward others, we'll start to become bitter and judgmental and condemning other people and have bitterness in our heart because we fail to allow them to live in the same realm of grace that, that we live in. You know, thank God for grace. Amen. Do you need grace in your life? And we need to allow... Room for that in other people's lives. It's not, we'll be bitter and start carrying around judgmental spirits. And it goes on and says, and by it, by that bitterness, many become defiled. I think there's a danger also that we have in Christianity. And that is, we've experienced God's grace. Hopefully you have. But when we fail to demonstrate God's grace toward others... And there's a lost world watching us that we say we're saved by grace, but we act like we're condemning everybody else. Many people are defiled by that attitude and many people will turn a deaf ear to Christianity because they're failing to see us demonstrate and offer the same grace that we have hope in, the same grace that we have eternal life through. And we need to guard against that. A serious dilemma I'm afraid of in many people's lives and also in many churches is that we fail to allow God's grace to be as huge as it really is. God's grace needs to be, I can't even begin to describe to you how large we need to allow God's grace to be. A lot lot of people act like they know about God's grace, but then they act like God's grace isn't enough. When God's grace is really sufficient. Now let me qualify that before someone goes off on a theological rant. Repentance of sin. We have to recognize we're sinners. Amen? And we come to repentance. And then God, by his grace and his mercy, saves us. What I'm talking about is the salvation aspect. God's grace is what saves us. Faith in Jesus Christ. God's grace is what saves us. He offers us his grace through faith in Jesus. And we need to allow his grace to be a very, very huge factor. Don't act like, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but there must be something else I have to do. And so people logically do that. And here's why. The gospel and grace sounds too easy, doesn't it? It almost sounds unfair that we, as sinful as we are, will be forgiven by God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And through faith in him, we experience the grace of God. That almost sounds unfair. So some people will want to add works to it and think, surely there's something else we have to do. When really we need to understand the grace of God is something we need to allow to be really, really, really large. Kyle Eidelman and why I'm not reading his book and the series is not based upon his books. I have looked at some things online. But but Kyle Eidelman wrote a book recently entitled Grace is Greater. And and that's what this series is about for us to recognize how large grace is. Here's a quote that, uh, that, that I did find that Kyle said about grace. We must understand that no sin is so great No bitterness is so deep that God's grace cannot transform the heart and rewrite the individual's story and eternal future. So in this mini-series about a major topic, I hope you will come away, not just from this series, but even from today, with a larger appreciation for the grace of God with a clearer understanding in your life of how God's grace can change our lives. It can restore our past. It can wash away all the guilt and all the remorse and all the regret that we may have in our lives. Let me give you another send off first before we get into the main part of the sermon. Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 9 tells us this. But we see him, that's talking about Jesus, you'll see here in just a second. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Then get this. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Amen? Amen. By God's grace... He allows his son to take the penalty of our sin, the death that should have been ours, the crucifixion that should have been ours, the punishment that should have been ours. By his grace, he allows his son to taste that for everyone. Today, our specific topic is this. Grace is greater than our mistakes. And in mistakes, I'm not minimizing sin. Sin is sin. Amen? But sometimes we have outright disobedient sin. Sometimes there are huge mistakes we make in our lives. God's grace is greater than all those things. To help us recognize that, we're going to focus on three truths this morning, three things this morning. To help us understand that God's grace is greater than our mistakes. Number one is this. If you're following along and you're, you're taking notes. The more we recognize the ugliness of our sin. In other words, the more we're willing to admit, we're willing to look at it, we're willing to say, yes, God, my sin's bad. The the more we recognize the ugliness of our sin, the more we can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. Now, in just a minute, I'm gonna read to you Romans 3, 23 through 26. But let me give you a little bit of an explanation of what I'm talking about. I think there's a direct correlation between how much we can appreciate grace and it's affected by how much we acknowledge our need for it. If if I want to really see grace as beautiful as it is, as great as it is, I have to be willing to look at my sin, own up to my sin, admit that I have sinned, admit that i need the grace of god and it's through the blackness and the darkness of of my sin that that i can appreciate the beauty of god's grace in a larger fashion let me illustrate that just for a minute my my wife becky at one point worked for hudson jewelry and if you've ever been to a jewelry store uh looking at, at at diamonds and things i try and stay away from those they're very expensive and, uh, and all, but if you go and look at them in the jewelry store, one thing that a lot of jewelry stores will do, they'll pull out some black velvet and they'll lay that black velvet on the top of the counter. And then that diamond ring that they're wanting you to so appreciate and think it's so beautiful, you're willing to buy it. They will lay that beautiful diamond against this black background underneath the light because by doing so, that black background causes the diamond to look all the more shiny, all the more beautiful. You can appreciate the, 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 the slight colors that may be there. You can appreciate all the, the facets of that diamond when you see it against that black background. Now, in, in a similar way, I think that's what we must do when it comes to God's grace. We need to be willing to admit our sin, to look at the blackness of our sin. And upon the background of the blackness of our sin, we place the grace of God. And when we see the grace of God against the black background of our sin, the grace of God, we'll start to see all the facets of the grace of God, the beauty of the grace of God, the the brilliance of the grace of God. If we will look at God's grace in comparison to our sins, because that gives us all the more reason to appreciate the grace of God when we view it in reference to the blackness of our sin. Romans chapter three not only tells us about sin, it also tells us about God's grace. The Bible says, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, talking about God, may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we're gonna break that down a little bit. And up front, we just need to recognize this. We, We need to understand, as we look at these verses, that the ugliness of sin affects everyone. The ugliness of sin affects everyone. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glory. None of us by our own goodness. None of us by our own virtue. None of us, by, by works that we think we can do, none of us can stack up to the glory of God. All of us miss the target. All of us fall short of God's glory. That's you, that's me, that's Billy Graham, that's everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's affected by this truth? Everybody. Because everyone Has sin, and that's an ugly truth. We don't like to talk about a lot of times, but it's still the truth. All of us have sin, but in contrast to the ugliness of sin and how it affects everybody, we need to understand that the beauty of grace is available for everyone. We've all sinned; we all fall short of God's glory. But the beauty of God's grace is something that is available for each and every. So let's kind of walk through that passage, the rest of it. First of all, recognize God's grace is a beautiful gift. God's grace is a beautiful gift. It says those that have sinned, all have sinned, all those that fall short of God's glory, yet we are justified by his grace as a gift. God will make us just like we've never sinned through faith in Jesus. When we trust in Christ as our Savior, even though we're sinners, God calls us righteous. Even though we're unjust, God makes us just. God renders us just, even though we're not, because we're all sinners, as we saw just a minute ago. But he will justify us, render us just, proclaim us just, by his grace, by his unmerited favor. And he does that. As a gift, as a free gift, when we trust Christ as our Savior, God will declare you're innocent, even though we're all guilty, because of Jesus, he will declare us innocent. And he does it as a gift. Now, now here's some things about a gift. If you work for a gift, it's not a gift anymore. If someone brings you a present on your birthday or a present on Christmas or whatever it might be. And they were to say, this gift is for you, but you have to go out and wash and wax my car first. When you get through washing and waxing my car, then I'll give you the gift. So you go out and you wash and wax the car and you come back in. But here's the deal with that, it's not a gift now, you're being paid for something that you did instead of it really being a gift. You see, here's the deal with that also. God doesn't owe anything to anyone. We can't be good enough to where God has to give us salvation. We can't be pretty enough, rich enough, whatever category you want to throw out there. We we cannot be enough of anything whatsoever whereby God has to give us his grace because if he gave it to you because of something you did or something you are. It's no longer a gift and it's no longer grace because it's something that you have earned instead. That's why we are not saved by our good works because God doesn't owe us salvation whatsoever. God wants to give us salvation as a free, beautiful gift when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's keep walking through the passage here. God's grace is provided. How is it provided that we're talking about this grace of God? God's grace is provided through the cross of Jesus. He goes on and says in that passage in Romans 3, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To boil down the idea of redemption, it just simply means paid in full. What Jesus did on the cross and the reason he screamed out it is finished on the cross is that he did everything necessary, paid everything necessary for the sin of all mankind so that when we exhibit faith, when we trust him by faith, he gives us salvation. All of our sins are ransomed or paid for in full on the cross by his sacrifice. He, he redeemed us. He, he gives total appeasement of the holiness and the righteousness of God by Jesus dying on the cross. You and I can never appease God by trying to work hard enough, by trying to do enough. That's not how it works. But it's through that redemption, through Jesus paying for it on the cross, that the holiness of God is vindicated. The holiness of God in his righteousness is appeased because of what Jesus did on the cross. So the redemption That is in, and we pass over that little word in in the English a lot of times, but in the Greek manuscript here that the New Testament was originally written in, that word in means in a fixed position. In a fixed position in Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, whose name even means Jehovah's salvation, that redemption that we can have comes through a fixed position in Jesus Christ whom God put forward. It didn't happen by accident. God scheduled it on the agenda. God set it forth. God placed. God exhibited his love for us by allowing his son to be our propitiation. Now, that's one of the words I joke about a lot. Good Caldwell County word. You used it five or six times in conversations this week, right? The word propitiation means a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, It also was used to talk about the lid on the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was present. And that's where the blood was poured out. In the Old Testament sacrificial rites, they'd have a day of atonement, an annual day of atonement. And the high priest would, after he met other requirements, being cleansed and everything like that, he would would go back into the most holy place or the holies of holies. And there he would pour out the blood from the sacrifice that took place outside of the altar sacrifice. He would pour it out on that on that mercy seat. And that's what this word also refers to. By doing so, that meant that that blood that was poured out on the mercy seat conciliated or atoned for. Uh, another root word that is built from even means to be cheerful because God is gracious as God is gracious. So Jesus is the propitiation of. By his blood. And the word by is the same word we saw for in a moment ago in the Greek. In a fixed position, the atoning blood of Jesus is what paid the penalty once and for all. You'll see that better in a minute. Once and for all for our sins. He provided the salvation that we need, the forgiveness that we need, the grace that we need through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. On that day of atonement, when the blood would be poured out in the Old Testament, one of the things underneath that lid of the ark, among other things, there's a copy of the Ten Commandments of God that was inside the ark of the covenant. So what was taking place is this, that law of God that proclaims we're sinners. That's what the law does. The law was never given to save us. The law was given to show us how messed up we are. And that law of God that's in the Ark of the Covenant that screams out at us, you're a sinner. You don't stack up. You can't add up to God's glory, to God's righteousness. That law that was in the Ark of the Covenant, the blood was poured out. So that blood was between mankind and the law of God that proclaims us sinners. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He shed his blood, Jesus being our mercy seat, Jesus being our sacrifice and the law that proclaims you and I sinners, Jesus paid for. He fully fulfilled as he died on the cross for our sins. That's what it means when he's the propitiation through his blood. Let me read you a couple of verses, a couple more verses in in the New Testament about that. First of all, in Colossians. It says, and you who are dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. If you're a Christian, that's who you are and what you were before you came to Christ. You are dead in trespasses and sin. If you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted Christ, that's what the Bible says you are now. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. In other words, by faith, when we trust Christ as our Savior, when Jesus got up out of the grave, guess what? We got up out of the grave with him. Amen? He paid the full price for our sins, having forgiven us all our trespasses. It didn't say some of our trespasses. It says all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross that law that proclaims you as a sinner, that law that proclaims you guilty before God, Jesus went to the cross and he nailed that to the cross. He paid for it all with his blood on the cross so that through faith in him, we have everlasting life. Through faith in him and him alone, you can experience the grace, the unmerited favor of God. Hebrews tells us this, but when Christ had offered for all time, A single sacrifice for sins. In the Old Testament, the high priest would have to go in annually and pour out that blood on the mercy seat. But Jesus, as our high priest, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And then he did this. He sat down at the right hand of God. You want to know why he sat down? Because he had accomplished everything necessary. He had done once and for all everything that needed to be done for you and I to be forgiven. For you and I to experience the grace of God. For you and I to one day be in his presence for all eternity. Jesus sat down because he'll never go to the cross again. He'll never offer a sacrifice again. He did it once and for all. How do we receive the grace of God? We receive the grace of God by faith through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So the next thing I want you to see as we finish this passage. As we walk through two more things in this passage, is that God's grace is received how? By faith. Not by works, not by your own personal goodness, but by faith. The Bible says is received by faith. That means the channel of the act. The channel of the act of us receiving the grace of God, the channel of the act is by faith, by us having this persuasion, this, this moral conviction, especially relying upon Jesus totally for our salvation. God's grace, once again, is not earned. God's grace, once again, is not something you work for. God's grace comes through the channel of faith in Jesus Christ alone. You have to receive it by faith. And the last thing in Romans before we move on in, in the message is this. God's, God, God is just and God's also the justifier. Some people get confused about what's meant by the rest of this passage. Let me read it again for you. This was the show. He's talking about what Jesus did on the cross for us. Jesus being our propitiation the, the, the grace that we can receive through faith being offered. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God had not fully judged sin until Jesus went to the cross is what it's saying. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he referring to God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in. In Jesus. Now here's what that means. God being an all powerful God, had God made mankind and being an all knowing God. Had God made mankind knowing we would sin, knowing we would not be good enough, knowing there's not anything we could do to save ourselves. Had God made us and left us like that, God wouldn't be just. He would be unjust because God stacked the deck against us to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, he made us, knowing we're going to sin, knowing we couldn't save ourselves. So in order for God to be just, here's what had to happen. He had to do for us what we couldn't do. He, He had to send his son to die on the cross and take care of paying the penalty of our sins that we can pay. That's how God can be just. And he's also the justifier, the one that justifies, makes the person that believes in Jesus just like they've never sinned. Our sin is ugly. But if we will view our sin, the background of our sin, against the grace of God, we can begin to appreciate all the more God's grace. And see how beautiful God's grace is. You see, God's, only, God's grace is only needful and beautiful if you know you need it. Amen. And that's why we need to fully appreciate our sin in order to fully appreciate the grace of God. Fully recognize our sin to fully appreciate the grace of God. In in the rest of time that we've got here, I want to tell you kindly two two stories. Uh, One, they'll have the verses on the screen. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to walk through the story. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's found in in John chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And then after that, we're going to look at a story in John 21, after we look at the the story of of the woman at, at the well. The second main point I want you to get this morning about God's grace being greater than all of our mistakes is this. God's grace is greater than your brokenness. No matter how broken you are, no matter what you've done in your life, God's grace is greater than all the brokenness you've experienced in your life. Now, let me kind of tell the story, and they'll scroll through it, you can read it in your Bible. But the Bible tells us that Jesus said, "I, I need, I really need to go through to Samaria. I want to remind you who Jesus is He's God in the flesh. He had an appointment planned with a woman at the well in Samaria. That's why he had to go there. Normally, the Jews would not go there. They would go the long way around in order to avoid having to go through Samaria because they viewed the Samaria as like the scum of the earth, the Samaritans. They didn't want to go through there, engage any of them, talk to any of them. So it's kind of a strange thing that Jesus would say, I've got to go through there so that's what he does and as he gets there because he's also the god man he starts to get hungry and he tells his disciples that he's hungry and 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 they go off to get some food there's this woman that comes to the well this woman is coming to the well at a time of day that you normally would not go there because she was coming in the heat of the day normally it would be better to do something when it was a little bit cooler, like walk across the desert sands and go draw some water out and carry the heavy water back. Sometimes we do things at the wrong time just because we kind of had to. I helped my son yesterday wash his car because he's leaving to go up to uh, the Bridge Church up in Western Carolina and uh, help with their worship team today and everything. He had not had the chance all the rain to wash his car. So uh, dummy me, I... 61 uh, year old me. I enjoyed to go out. Th- I, I, I signed up to go out there and help him in the middle of the day. <laughs> it was hot yesterday. I was worn out by the time I was finished. You see, but I kind of chose to do that for a different reason. This lady chooses to go to the well, I think for other reasons. She doesn't want to have to meet any women there. Because those women in the city that she lived in knew her past, and they knew her story, and they knew her background. They had probably been looking down upon her and talking about her, and she didn't want to have to deal with any of them. So she goes at a time when she thinks no one will be there. And yet Jesus is there. Why? Because he's got a scheduled appointment to reveal to her that he's the Messiah, and for her to experience the grace of God. They start to have some discussions. She's kind of shocked that Jesus is even talking to her. She said, you're a Jew and the Jews don't even talk to us. What are you doing talking to me? And yet Jesus does. They enter into some other discussions about where's the right place to worship and everything like that. And eventually it comes down to the point that Jesus decides, I'm going to prove to her who I am. She's there thinking about physical water. Jesus said, if you know who I am, you would never be thirsty again. But Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water. And then to help convince her, he knows what he's talking about. He tells her, go call your husband. And she's honest with him. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you know what? That's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're with right now, you're just living with. Kind of like you're shacking up with. And that's what Jesus told her. When she hears that, Jesus didn't know her. She would never met Jesus. That gives her the evidence that she needs to believe this guy is the Messiah. And all of a sudden she drops her water pot that she was so concerned about and she runs back into the city and she tells other people about this man that told her everything she'd ever done. And she said, come on, you need to come out here and meet him. Now, from that passage that I didn't read because there's so many verses that I just wanted to tell you as a story, I want to point out to you a few things before we, uh, before we go any any further. Number one is this. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And he still offers grace to you. Jesus wasn't surprised who this woman was and what she had done. He knew about it. God in the flesh. He said, I need to go through there. And he has this meeting with this woman that would be considered like a woman of ill repute. And then, as they have this discussion, Jesus talks to her when no one else probably would have wanted to talk to her. And she's there because she's also ashamed of her choices. She's been condemned, she's been judged, she's been gossiped about by the other women. She'd have had those five husbands, and now she's living with somebody. In other words, this lady of the well had a lot of brokenness in her life. She had a lot of junk she was carrying, a lot of baggage that she was guilty about. Jesus knew all about it. Jesus knew her past. He knew exactly what she had done. He let her know that he knew her past and what she had done. And yet Jesus is there trying to reveal to her that he's the Messiah. He's the one they waited upon. He's the one that they need to trust in. He's the one that would give them the access to really, really, truly worship God in spirit and truth. And she comes to this awareness that it's Jesus, that he is the Messiah how to apply that to your life, apply it to your life like this. No matter what you've done, no matter how much brokenness you have in your life, I don't care how bad the world tells you it is or how bad you feel like it is or how much other people have turned their nose down upon you, how much people have condemned you and talked about you and gossiped about you, Jesus still loves you and he wants to offer grace to you. If you're someone that's never trusted Christ as Savior because you feel like you're so bad, like that lady would have felt like she was so bad, I've got some good news for you. No matter what you've done, Jesus wants to offer his unmerited favor, his grace and his salvation to you if you're someone that's already trusted your Christ as Savior and you're still carrying around some guilt from the past and brokenness from the past that you worry about all the time, Jesus wants you to overcome that by his grace. Something else from this story. The grace of Jesus meets your very deepest thirst or need. This lady was seeking physical, literal water. Jesus knew she had a deeper need than that because of all the brokenness that was there. So Jesus meets the need of her spiritual thirst in such a way, the physical water she was worried about, she forgets about, she drops a bucket and she runs into the city to tell others. The lesson for us to learn from that is simply this. Jesus knows you, like I said a moment ago, better than you know yourself. Jesus knows the need you have in your heart, the need you have in the deepest recess of your soul. He knows the thirst that you have, and he's the one that can meet that spiritual need and spiritual thirst. Another lesson for us to learn out of this great story about Jesus engaging with this woman at the well and carrying on a conversation with him is this. The grace of Jesus is greater than all barriers. The grace of Jesus is greater than all barriers. There's not any barrier that you have in your life that's so large, the grace of Jesus. Can't push beyond it, push over it, and remove it. There's some barriers that this woman had, and I've already kind of alluded to them in the story. One was she was a Samaritan. Jews wouldn't talk to her. And yet, Jesus intentionally goes and starts up a conversation with her so he can get his grace to her to meet the brokenness that she has. Another barrier was that she was a woman. You don't fully appreciate that in this day and time as much as you would have if you were living then. But in that day and time, the women were looked down upon. There was a big variance between them and the men. You still see some of that mindset in the Middle East, the way they're treated because of Islam and things like that. But uh, anyway, there's a huge variance there. And in that day and time, it was also considered improper for a man to talk in private with a woman that was not his wife. So there's some barriers that are being broken here that takes her by surprise. Another barrier is this she seemed to be a pretty significant sinner, didn't she? At least from the world's viewpoint. That's why she's going to the well, the middle of the day. Everyone knew her story. They, They looked down upon her, they gossiped about her, they criticized her, they condemned her. She'd been married five times, now she's living with someone. She's a pretty significant sinner in the eyes of the world. But Jesus crosses over that barrier and he still engages her in a conversation and he talks to her. And he gets her to the point that she's convinced that he's a Messiah. I don't know what brokenness you have in your life. You don't know what brokenness I have in my life. Oh, we've talked about some and I'll use some every now and then when I'm up here from my past about my dad, him being an alcoholic, different things like that in my life. And some of you share a little bit of things with me sometimes about brokenness that you have, but I don't fully know your brokenness and you don't fully know my brokenness, but I can tell you this, no matter how broken you are, Jesus can fix it. No matter how broken you are, God's grace is greater than than your brokenness last point out of this story and then we'll move to the to the second main story that i'm kind of using for illustrations this morning is this once you've experienced the grace of god you are compelled to share it with others when she figured out who jesus was she ran into the city She told the other people there, come see this man that told me everything that I've ever done. Come see this man that I believe is the Messiah. I found the Messiah. Come with me out of the city to see him. And the Bible says, many of them went out there and many of them trusted and believed in Jesus also. See, I think that ought to be a natural occurrence. When we experience the grace of God, We ought to instantly think other people need the grace of God. When I've been forgiven, I need to recognize there are people that are not forgiven. There are people that are still bound up by their brokenness. There are people that are still beaten down by their sin. There are people that have not found Jesus yet as their Savior. And it ought to be a very natural thing for us once we experience the grace of God to have the desire to tell somebody else so they can experience the grace of God. Well, preacher, I understand I ought to do that, but that's kind of a tough thing to do sometimes. Imagine how hard it was for this woman. For her to go back into a city where she was trying to hide her face out the Well, she was trying not to meet people because they knew her past and they were looking down upon her and they were condemning her. Yet this lady goes into town and I think she did it in a very public way because she didn't have time to go person to person to bring all them out all of a sudden to see Jesus. I think she went into the city and proclaimed in a pretty loud voice, hey, you need to come see this man that told me everything that I've ever done. You need to come meet this man that I believe is the Messiah. You need to come out and meet him now. This woman who would have been looked down upon, judged, condemned, known for all that she had done that was wrong, and yet she goes into the city and in a public way invites people out to meet Jesus. Don't tell me it's too difficult for you to do because this woman went into the city in spite of all her past and her brokenness. Guys, the truth of the matter is this. That makes it all the more powerful when people hear from you who have so messed up your life, who have so screwed up your life, who have so much brokenness, whose sin is so ugly, and they hear from you that you have met the Savior and has changed you. That makes it all the more powerful. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about what someone might think about you. Share it anyway. If you've experienced the grace of God, you need to share it with others. Our second illustrative story this morning is found in John 21. And it's about Peter's life. A time in Peter's life when Peter had uh, really got discouraged or really got depressed. The background to it, before I read the verses, I, I will read this text instead of just talking through it. But the background of the story Is this Jesus had told his disciples that they were going to deny him. Peter pulls Jesus off to the side. And more or less, he's saying, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't care what the rest of these do. I will never, ever, ever deny you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, Before the cock crows in the morning, before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what he did. Matter of fact, the last time he even cursed about it, he's trying to be even more convincing. I don't know Jesus. I don't belong to him. I've not been following him. He even cursed about it. The Bible says, then the rooster crowed. And Jesus, who was there, been arrested and brought in to go through a mock trial. The Bible says Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. I don't think he looked at him with disgust. I think he looked at him with compassion. I told you, you know? Then Jesus goes through the mock trial. He's taken, he's crucified, he's buried. He takes his life back up. Peter's seen the living Jesus and everything yet, but, but, but Peter now knows fully he is the Messiah. Hey, he took his life back up, but Peter can't push beyond the fact of what he had done. He can't get beyond the fact that he denied Jesus. And Peter, more or less, tells all the rest of the disciples, I'm done with this. I've screwed up. I made too big of a mistake. I'm going back to my life the way it used to be. I'm going back fishing. And they're out there at night fishing, and Jesus comes along the seashore, calls out, asks if they've caught any fish. I think they'd heard something like that before. <laughs> Jesus tells them where to cast the nets, and they get their nests full of fish. And then Peter realizes it's the Lord, and Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. When he gets there, Jesus is fixing breakfast, cooking fish on the seashore. They've not brought the fish in yet. Where did he get the fish? Hey, he's got the flesh. He can say, fish, jump out of the water, jump in the pan. He's cooking fish on the seashore. Then Jesus breaks the silence with this. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know, I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Then Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you or carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death. He was to glorify God. The Bible doesn't tell us this tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In other words, Jesus more or less said to Peter, yes, Peter, you screwed up. You denied me. I told you you would. You you, you, you acted out of pride that you would never deny me, but you did. You made a terrible mistake. You denied me. But he's saying this. Jesus is letting Peter know, I love you anyway, Peter, and I'm still going to use you, and you're still going to serve me. That's why he asked him three times. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus gives Peter the chance to repent of that, to confess it, to be restored from it. And as he's doing so, each time he says, I love you, Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. I want you to tend to my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to follow me. You don't realize it yet, but you're going to die for me one day. That's what he was telling him. And, And I want you to be sure you understand something. Yes, you screwed up, but I'm not done with you. Yes, you messed up, but I'm not finished with you. I still have a purpose for your life and I still have a plan for your life. And that is the same truth all of us need to hear. Hey, as a believer, have you ever screwed up? I have. Have you ever denied Jesus as a believer? I have. There have been plenty of things in my life I'm not proud of. And I need to hear this story from time to time. That even though I messed up, Jesus still loves me, he forgives me, and he wants to take my life and use me no matter what I've done. No matter how ugly my sin is, no matter how broken I am, no matter all the regrets I might have in my life, Jesus wants to wash all of that away by his grace. God's grace is greater. Our sin is ugly, but God's grace is more beautiful than all of our sin. No matter how sinful you are, no matter how bad you think your life is. Some of you have stood distance from God because you think, oh, he's so holy and I'm so messed up. Well, he took care of that on the cross. (laughs) And he invites you to come to him. No matter how broken you might be in your life, no matter all the choices you may have made and you've got all these broken pieces laying around in your life that you keep picking up and playing with and you're trying to figure out somehow to put it all back together yourself and you can't do it, you're kind of like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall. Jesus can take your brokenness and make you whole again. He can fix all of your brokenness. God's grace can give you hope of eternal life with Him. God's grace can wash away all that brokenness and fix you no matter what you've done. God's grace is greater. A lot of us have regrets. Things we've done in our past we're not proud of. I've got regrets. I've got things I'm not proud of. I I can have some anger issues from time to time can pop up in my life i try to catch it a little bit better than than it used to be i, I don't know if it is or not becky might you, i guess but uh, i don't think i've knocked any holes in the walls lately and i have done that in the past in my life not proud of it but i've done it i made a lot of other poor choices in my life i can have a lot of regrets i want to pack up on my shoulder and carry around But Jesus, by his grace, wants to do away with those regrets. He doesn't want you as a Christian carrying those regrets around, feeling the burden of it. See, we've got a choice. You can allow your brokenness, you can allow your past, you can allow your regrets to ruin your life, or you can let all that be trophies of God's grace. You you can view all of that as being black and bad as it is, but you can see God's grace shining all the more and allow all of that sin to be a trophy of God's grace. I'll say this verse till now. Probably have to read it some other Sundays. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. In other words, the law shows us how bad we are. When you read it, you realize, oh, screw that one up. I screwed this one up. I screwed that one up. I pretty much screwed all of them up. Oh, preacher, you're not that bad. And and you might think, well, to yourself, you might think, well, you're not that bad yourself. The Bible says if we violate any one part of the law, we're guilty of all of it. So we are. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord. Sin increased. The God's grace, His graciousness that gratifies the, the divine influence of God's grace upon our heart. Where sin increased, His grace abounds all the more. And the phrase there that He used in the New Testament Greek means to superabound. It's a compound word that means over, beyond in the cross. God's grace superabounds, is in excess. It's more than we could ever need. That's how huge God's grace is. No matter how bad our sin is, His grace superabounds. God's grace is greater than all our mistakes. Let's pray. Fathers, God is a Christian. I want to pray for myself and other Christians. Father, if we're still carrying around baggage and guilt after knowing you, if we're still allowing the devil to remind us over and over and over again our past. Father, we pray that you would help us that we might allow your grace to be so large that it floods away and washes away all our regrets. Father, the brokenness that we have in our lives, even as believers, Father, we we ask you by your grace to just give us a a full restoration. Father, I pray for anyone here that may not know Christ as Savior. I pray right now you give them the faith they need to believe in the finished work of Jesus, that Jesus once and for all, forever, pay the penalty of their sin. No matter how bad they feel like they've been, Father, help them to understand that just like Jesus sought out that woman at the well, that he wants to seek them out. No matter what they've done, he's willing to extend his grace and his forgiveness and his love to their life. So, Father, if there's someone here that's been hiding and been standing at a distance from you because of their sin, give them the faith they need today to say yes to Jesus. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Please stand as a believer if God speaks to your heart and tells you, hey, you need to come and pray and thank Him about how big grace is. If you're a believer and you recognize that you've been failing to allow grace to be as huge as it should be in in your own life or in applying it toward others, we invite you to come and pray about that and ask God to help you to let His grace be huge. Especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Why not let today be the day? that you understand that He died on the cross for you, paid fully the penalty for your sin, that through faith in Him you can have forgiveness, eternal life, the brokenness fixed, the guilt taken care of, the regrets gone. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.